You're in the water loop. Welcome to Waterloop, the podcast helping water leaders to discover solutions and drive change. I'm the host, Travis Loop. This episode is part of a series, Funding to Fight Lead. There are perhaps 10 million lead service lines in the ground in the U.S., and it may cost $50 billion to remove them. The series explores financing lead service line replacement, technical assistance for under-resourced communities, and examples of successful approaches. This episode is about how Denver did it. When Denver Water decided to replace 64,000 to 84,000 lead service lines over 15 years, the question arose of how to pay for the work. The utility ultimately decided to use public funds for the work on private property. The decision came after much research into the financial approach and clarification that it was permissible from the Government Accounting Standards Board. As discussed in this episode with Angela Brickmont, Chief Financial Officer of Denver Water, and Ed Harrington, former president of the Government Finance Officers Association. Angela and Ed also talk about building comfort with this method of funding lead service line replacement and the significant interest in the approach from other water utilities. Before starting the episode, I want to mention that Waterloop is a nonprofit media outlet and that this series is supported by 120 Water, LeadCopperRule.com, and Blue Conduit. I'm going to briefly talk about their work on lead and then start the conversation. Waterloop. 120 Water is the only end to end solution for implementing the lead and copper rule revisions. They currently work with over 600 water systems ranging from rural water communities that serve less than 3,000 people to major cities like Denver, Pittsburgh, and Newark. They also manage city and statewide drinking water programs, such as lead in schools and daycares. 120 Water is a digital water platform with cloud-based software, products such as water testing kits, lead validation kits, and remediation kits, and services that water systems and state agencies use to execute water quality programs. Learn more at 120water.com. The lead and copper rule doesn't just create compliance challenges for water utilities, it also creates several public information flashpoints that put the reputations of utilities at risk. LeadCopperRule.com can help your utility stay ahead of the lead and copper rule for years to come. Their proven communication plans and products are ready in an instant, and their expert staff can guide your response to any lead information emergency. Be ready to protect the public's trust in your water from day one. Visit LeadCopperRule.com today to set up your free initial consultation. Blue Conduit is a water analytics company that has developed a cutting-edge, predictive machine learning approach to locate lead service lines, empowering local officials and their engineering partners with the information to efficiently remove those pipes. The company's solutions enable utilities to focus their resources on digging where the lead is, accelerating the removal of this significant health concern and saving millions of dollars in avoided digs. 
Since 2016, the Blue Conduit team has worked with more than 100 municipalities and inventoried over 1.8 million service lines, which serve more than 4 million people. Visit blueconduit.com. You're in the Waterloo. Angela, so glad to talk to you for this podcast. Uh, I'm a longtime fan of Denver Water. You guys are one of the great utilities out there. So excited to talk to you on, on that respect. Um, and then you've you've really taken a, a big leadership role when it comes to tackling lead pipes. Could you talk a little bit about how that started? Um, you know, what the situation, the challenge was that, that Denver Water was facing with lead pipes and how you decided to tackle it? Yeah, great, great question, and um, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me to tell our story. So back in 2012, Denver Water had an exceedance, and um, at that time, I think we were just at the beginning of the journey. We were looking for, uh, you know, how do we approach this? What What's the best answer? And over the course of, of several years and lots of research, uh, we went from just trying to address that one exceedance to really thinking holistically, what do we need to do to address lead in our system? And in 2019, uh, through a series of, of discoveries and, and really coming to an understanding of what is the problem and what's the cause of the problem? What's the best thing? Um, we entered into an agreement that had uh, us, in essence, getting lead out at the source. And that means replacing the lead line, not just a partial replacement, but a full replacement at no cost to our customers. How many lead lines were you looking at were having to replace then? What, what was that? So, you know, of course, uh, not everybody has a full inventory mm. and um, we're still building that, but our estimate is it's anywhere from 64 to 84,000 uh, that we need to replace. That's a, that's a high number. That's a high number for sure. Okay. So inventory's tough, uh, figuring out where they are going about this work, communicating with the public, all these challenges. One of the big challenges is how to pay for this work, right? Uh, how, did you, how did you look at that challenge? How did you evaluate the options? What were the options and how did, which path did you decide to go down with financing this work? Yeah, I, so I have to step back from, from that because I will say a key um, motivator for me to go down the path of understanding, okay, how are we going to pay for 64 to 84,000 lead lines was knowing at the very beginning of this journey that uh, when you compare your different options uh, for how to address lead, you know, do you do partials? Do you have the customers pay? Do you do it all at, at your cost? Um, one of the things that we looked at uh, was what is the entire cost to the customer at the end of the day? And the path we were headed down was replacing them as we found them. That would have been maybe 75 years plus um, versus pull, getting them all out, seeing those efficiencies happen from replacing them more quickly. And added to that is 
if we had gone down the approach of putting orthophosphate in the system, we would have had to continue to use people for years to come. So adding cost downstream on the wastewater side, and then you add into that stormwater and the potential environmental impacts of having that uh, in essence in our system forever. So before we even talked about financing, we were analyzing uh, what's the all-in cost to the customer if they ha if we uh, let it just happen, replace as we go, add additional chemicals, deal with the additional treatment cost versus just getting it out and, and getting it out within 15 years. So we did that analysis up front. It's actually less expensive to remove lead and, and do it on that 15-year timeline. Uh, so once we've proven that, then we got to the challenge of how do you fund that? And I will say the very first, uh, what I thought was a barrier to going down that path was um, whether or not we could finance it, because we did not want this to be something that had a huge impact to our customers in their, in their monthly bill. So uh, as I started looking at that, uh, I remember talking to the folks at Water Now and saying, I, I'm not sure how we're gonna do this. And Cynthia from Water Now sent me this article that's, that really talked about um, an accounting rule that allowed you to capitalize private asset that was delivering a public good in essence. And um, the cash for grass article is what I call it. Um, that's where I uh, became very intrigued that you could actually put private assets on your books and not be responsible for maintaining them. Look, talk to my accountants and we all kind of scratched our heads saying, this could be true. We, we Surely we would have known about this accounting rule um, and decided we needed to hear more, mm -hmm. uh, which is when we reached out to Ed Harrington. Yeah. Well, let's bring Ed on now. And, uh, you know, that I think, Angela, there's a, a conception, um, I guess a misconception across the water space that you can't use public funds for work on private property. So people aren't even thinking about that. Um, and that's probably just what was in your head, that common held belief. Um, and luckily, uh, that has been smashed down here. Um, and uh, Ed, glad to have you on the podcast as well. Would love to hear you kind of explain why this is a, a myth. This is misinformation. It's incorrect. Not just about lead overall, but I, you've mentioned some, some other aspects of of this could you talk about it sure and you know none of us were taught this and you know all of us that went to accounting school or whatever no one ever said there's this exception over here but there is because back in the 80s the, the financial accounting standards board was approached and people said utilities are just fundamentally different they have different ways of arranging things different ways of financing things and you have to make an exception for them and so they did make an exception, which was then brought into the GASB part of the world, the governmental accounting standards part of the world, back in about 2010. And so what it said was, if you're going to be having some different kind of arrangements where you're not going to have the traditional, you build something, you own it, you manage it, you control it, but you still need to spend this money to have something good for your system, that if you are what's called a regulated utility, there's an exception for you. A regulated utility is a really straightforward thing. It means that you have someone who sets your rates, 
that you in fact can set your rates and that if you set your rates, you can anticipate receiving the money that you charge for them. Not so difficult. The same kind of promise you'd make whenever you're issuing debt. So then we said that's that's the big problem because if you're going to be doing kind of small things, you can go ahead and expense a few million dollars a year for customer rebates, turf buyback programs and things. But if you're going to do anything big, you're going to have to debt finance it. That's how water and wastewater systems do big things. So if you're going to scale up, how are you going to do this? And that's where the GASB 62 regulated operations approach comes in. Because what it says is you don't need to own that. You don't need to control it. But if you're going to issue debt, spend the money on something and then recover it in the future through rates, that creates what's called a regulatory asset. And that allows you to put something on the books that balances with the with the debt that you're putting on the books when you issue your debt. And then you can go ahead and have, have a good time. But I mean, but <laughs> it is especially, especially uh, focused at places where you don't want to or you can't end up owning that. And for example, with a lead line replacement, you probably don't want to have the entire liability of the customer side of the meter, but you still feel it's a public good to go ahead and make sure that people are healthy. And that's where GASB 62 regulated operations can come into place. And as this kind of, uh, as Water Now, you know, reached out to you, as Denver Water did, um, wasn't there some work done with GASB to try to clarify this for the water space? We read the GASB 62 rules and we said, this seems to apply. And then we would tell people that, and just like Angela's folks, they said, I don't think so. I've never heard about this. What does that mean? So we went back to GASB and said, could you clarify this? GASB issues typically annually, what they call an implementation guide. And in the implementation guide, they ask a question and they answer it. And so in this case, we had them ask the question, can you use regulated operations for things like customer rebates or turf buyback programs? And the answer is yes. So then armed with that, we could go out and talk to people and say, yes, we believe it's true and Gatsby agrees. So go ahead and use it. It's still a hard sell because people are still it still seems very, very strange to people to be doing this kind of thing where you're saying, but I don't own that. How can how can somebody's turf buyback program be my asset? But it but it works. And it's mm. an intentional exception that Gasby and Fasby have both made. And then Angela, as you kind of heard about this, uh, and as I guess as Gasby put out the you know, the clarification or so, how did that how did this all help you move forward? Well, it, 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 as Ed said, um, I, we're not trained as accountants to um, think about things this way. It helped tremendously. Um, for one thing, uh, you know, if you're a CPA, you need to hear it from a CPA. So my folks got to hear it directly from Ed. And even then, the next thing they said is, well, okay, we now believe it's possible, but maybe our external auditors won't believe it. They, they have to prove it as well. And, um, you know, with, with Ed's help and, and several conversations later and talking to our external auditors, they were fine with it. Uh, so I think I don't want to underestimate how important this was and, and how, um, you know, working through that piece Oh, kind of opens up the door to the rest of the story. You need your accountants on board. And if you need a few experts to help you get over that, you know, by all means, uh, talk to Ed, but um, talk to your external auditors. This is something that's been done. We're now three years into it. Clean audits three years later. 
Um, we have a regulatory asset on our books and we're depreciating it. Mm. Were there uh, any other examples out there of utilities doing maybe not the lead piece, but other types of work um, that fell under this provision, if you will? Ed? There's actually a number of them. One of the more interesting ones in Los Angeles, the Los Angeles water system is separate from the Los Angeles wastewater system, the sewer system. The sewer system was going to be building a new treatment plant. The water folks said, hey, if you built that treatment plant to have a, a higher treatment capacity, and if you also did it to a higher level of, of cleanliness, instead of putting the water out into the ocean, we could put it back in the aquifer. We could go ahead and pump it back out of the aquifer, and it would be clean water for us. But they said, the wastewater folks said, well, we don't have the money to do that. The water folks said, we don't want to run your wastewater treatment plant. They used GASB 62. They issued debt on the water system. They gave the money to the wastewater folks. The wastewater folks built a better system that allows the water people to get more water. And it was all done with GASB 62 because the water system could issue debt and put this regulatory asset on their books, even though they were never going to control, manage, or have anything to do with that wastewater treatment plant. So it's a very interesting thing that can be used in a variety of ways. We've been pushing it for things like turf buyback. We've been pushing it for distributed infrastructure, natural infrastructure on private property, but it can be used in a variety of ways. And so, Angela, you, you get this, this uh, you know, permission, clarification from, from Gasby. Were there any other f hurdles with taking this financing approach for, for replacing lead service lines? You know, there was one other one that Ed may, may, may be aware of, and that is that anytime you are uh, providing a service, a good for someone else, there's always this question of, well, do you need to send them a 1099? You know, did we just uh, create a taxable event in some way? And I don't know, Ed, if, if, if you were involved in trying to, uh, you know, reassure folks that, no, you don't have to do that. But Water Now has a whole section on their website that addresses why this isn't a taxable event. You don't need to send um, a notice uh, for to an individual if they receive a replacement of their private service line. It's a similar discussion to what often people say: Is that a gift of public funds? Are you giving Are you giving something that somebody else is going to own? What we've really come back to is: It's a public good. The entire reason for doing this is for the public good of the entire system. And that's why you can issue debt for the whole system, and that's why you can do things on private property. Because it's not for those people, it's for all of us collectively and as part of the system to make it work. Is there, in, in the way that Gatsby put out you know, a memo to kind of make people feel better, uh, is there something the federal government could do on this front to help the, the water utility space feel better about that aspect? Well, I know that Angela went to the IRS and talked about this. You should be clear. There's there's two different definitions of asset that you're dealing with here. The mm -hmm. IRS wants to see something actually happening in the ground or you know, typically a tangible asset for the public good. They don't care about ownership. They don't care about management. They want to make sure something in the real world happened. And so they, that's the test you meet for the IRS. Then you have the accounting test, and that's where GASB 62 comes in. People sometimes conflate the two, but they really are two different tests that you're having to reach. If the, if the federal government could make the IRS test much more straightforward and much more obvious for people, that would probably be helpful. Gotcha. Thank you very much. Uh, 
Angela, I'm curious, as Denver Water decided to take this approach, re replacing private-led uh, service lines using public dollars that, you know, the whole ratepayer base was going to be part of funding, right? What was just the reaction from your customers as this was kind of put out there? Uh, so you would you would um, you would think that uh, this was totally straightforward and and um, seamless uh, program that we launched, but I cannot emphasize how important it was that we told the story to the customers mm. about um, you know why are we doing this now and and how long has it been a problem and how you know that quickly turned into well. How soon can you come to my neighborhood? <laughs> so I think it's important that, you know, for sure, the public's been incredibly supportive and uh, of our program. We have a, uh, a filter that we need to get out there and, and educate customers how to use until their line is replaced. So a lot of communication, education, and outreach went into explaining to the customer what we were doing and why. And uh, we've had tremendous support for the program. Uh, and, and, and again, it's not due to chance. It was due to making sure that we got their trust about what we're doing and why. Mm -hmm. Sure, absolutely. What about other utilities? Now that they've seen Denver Water take this approach, approach to financing lead service line replacement. Um, you know, have you heard from other utilities around the country asking, how'd you do that? And, and, you know, having a reaction to it? We have. And in the early days, uh, we started this program in 2000. Uh, so it was, it was, had some additional challenges there. In the early days, there wasn't a lot of interest and certainly we're not the first utility to do this in the nation. But uh, that, that interest has picked up uh, to where I would say we get calls every week, uh, not only on how do you finance it, uh, but, um, you know, how do you talk to your customers about it? How do you even find the lines um, and, and what kinds of uh, what, you know, what are the tools you have to make this a success? Uh, I like to say, you know, this is a huge opportunity to actually reach customers you don't normally get to reach. And uh, so there are lots of aspects of, of a successful program. Yeah. One of the most important aspects of a successful program are, is having people like Angela who are willing to take a risk, who are willing to try to figure out how to do something different. Because what we often run into is people say, well, we've never done it before. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> but you take somebody who's smart enough and risk-taking enough to go out and say, but we could do it, right? Let's go ahead and give it a try. And that's probably, in some ways, a bigger hurdle than the technical aspects of it. I was going to just ask for any advice you might have for other utilities that are now considering this, you know, how they should approach it, what they should do to kind of, you know, cross their T's, dot their I's, all the things the financial people like to do? You know, the, the first thing I would say is don't uh, do this alone. There are, uh, go to the Denver Water website, type in lead, and you're going to see a treasure trove of tools, outreach, uh, FAQs to our customers. You can type your address in and, and see how we communicate with customers about about possible lead lines. So please reach out to other utilities 
And I would say don't um, don't get stuck when you run into that first barrier. Uh, we've figured it out and uh, reach out and, and we're happy to share our story. Awesome. Ed, do you have any advice for, for utilities out there that, is, that are considering, you know, this work? And one of the things, as Angela says, go to the Denver Water site, Water website, but also go to the Water Now Tap into Resilience website. What we have in there is all 50 states, what are the rules for issuing debt? Where do we, what are the issues related to gifted public funds? How do these different things work? And so we've done a lot of research so people don't have to start from scratch. So you can show your bond council or your outside auditors or even your internal finance folks, here are the rules, this is how it works. And we can also show here are some examples, here's what it looks like on financial statements and it's all in that Tap Into Resilience website. Well, Angela and Ed, uh, thank you for joining the podcast and for this very informative conversation. Um, Angela, you know, just congrats to this plan and this work that Denver has underway. And I'm looking forward to other utilities around the country kind of following in your footsteps on this on this financing approach. But thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode, and thanks to its supporters, 120 Water, LeadCopperRule.com, and Blue Conduit. To find all episodes, sign up for email updates, and connect on social media, please visit Waterloop.org. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.